0: So this is uh, your film deals with all sorts of things that fascinate me. I'm sort I'm almost the perfect audience member in the sense that uh, I'm a film fan uh, first really? and foremost, <laughs> uh, and I'm also someone who's fascinated by the supernatural and belief and life's big questions and how these things impact art uh, and creativity. In ge- generally speaking, um, what was your first experience with The Exorcist? How, how old were you when you encountered this movie? And had you seen, you know, in terms of context, other films yet that dealt with similar themes or, or even horror movies in general? What was your first encounter?
1: Um, it, it actually came fairly late. Uh, even though as, as a kid, I was an avid watcher of, um, of horror movies. Uh, the Exorcist came late because my, uh, my mother had had a traumatic experience. Mm. Watching it, and um, you know she couldn 't sleep for a week. It was just one wow. of those things and so i I really dreaded watching The Exorcist, so I waited a long time. I watched it in my twenties mm.
0: um,
1: but as i as I often say um, the for me the Exorcist is um, is is a profoundly moving piece of filmmaking when I watched it for the first time it didn't you know i, I of course it 's a horror film i 'm not trying to get around that. But um, but it's a film that has so much um, beauty and love in it uh, that you know the more I think about the actresses that this is what sort of sticks with me uh, Mm. and I think this is what makes it such a profoundly moving uh, piece of filmmaking.
0: Yeah, um, I, I get the same sense from it, and it's interesting to me also that you didn't see it until you were an adult. Uh, not only for the reasons you described, but also, you know, on a similar tack, uh, for me, you know, I'm Generation X, and I, I grew up in the Midwest, and so my first real love of horror films was, you know, the original Nightmare on Elm Street, which continues to be my favorite horror film. Oh yeah, and, and then of course I, you know, as a middle schooler, went through the slasher genre and was really into. Halloween and Friday the 13th and everything. And films that are now not just favorite horror films of mine, but favorite films in general, like The Exorcist and The Shining, I didn't see, I think of those two movies in particular because I didn't see those until well into adulthood. And yet they were both films that the major beats, uh, the most famous scenes, different bits of dialogue, you know, that was all, I was aware of all of it. You know, I knew what The Exorcist was about. I knew what The Shining was about. I knew they were, I knew about the books they were based on. I knew who directed them, who wrote them, who starred in them. It was like somehow you absorb that before you actually see the film. And those are two movies. I bring them both up and compare them just in my own experience, because regardless, you know, oftentimes something's so built up that it's inevitably disappointing. It can never live up to, to all of that. And those were two films that when I finally saw them from start to finish as an adult, they not only lived up to the hype, so to speak, but exceeded my expectations. Yeah, And that's, uh, I mean, that's such a one in a million kind of thing. Well, with,
1: they're, they're, they're very rare films. I mean, it's, uh, you know, they I mean, films that become essentially cultural events, you know, I mean, mm. with the, this is really what we're talking about here. I mean, I think even Psycho, you know, like Psycho, yes. the, one you know one thing that I think is remarkable is uh, is that I mean obviously you know I've met a lot of people when I was touring with my film 1752 you know who who had never watched Psycho but they all knew the shower
0: scene they all knew the twist they all knew yeah
1: yeah but 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 you know but so you had all these people who came you know 60 years after Psycho came out to watch a film about a scene from a movie (laughs) they had not even watched, right? right? I mean, let let that sink in for a second. Incredible stuff, not only that, but then I would ask, I would say, well, you know, for those of you who have never watched a film, if I tell you, can you think of the music in your head, can you, you know, does it come to mind? And they're like, yeah. I mean, like, how remarkable is that? Like, if that's not, if that's not, you know, as you said, one in a million, so few movies become that. And I yeah, think those yeah. are truly cultural treasures, you know.
0: I had a conversation recently with a friend of mine about how, you know, when when Nicholson says, as Jack Torrance, here's Johnny, that Amazing. was of course, that, that, that was of course like a, you know, a major kind of pop culture reference at the time. Because, you know, there were three channels and everyone knew the tonight show everyone knew Johnny Carson everyone knew Ed McMahon and that famous intro and I was struck by how now in 2020 here's Johnny is probably more associated with the shining in in pop culture you know than (laughs) with Ed McMahon and Johnny Carson. And it's just wild to think about how these films take on that sort of life. And you know having covered other films that deal specifically with exorcisms Uh, i mean the the exorcist looms so largely that i I, i've never had a conversation with a filmmaker with with anyone involved in any other film that even comes close to this territory without the exorcist coming up either in terms of how does this movie differ what do they have in common uh you know how much of an influence or how did you you know what did you have to shake off like it's it's just so omnipresent yeah. as the definitive well, film about this subject.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's really it, it makes it really hard, I think, on the genre when you know when a subgenre in a way gets kicked off by the absolute mm. pinnacle of what this subgenre has <laughs> to offer. Yeah. you know, it's yeah. it's again, it's like Psycho. Like I, I for me, like if you want to think about the, the the slasher genre subgenre of which I'm I'm not a te- I'm not a huge fan. Uh, I, I have to say but it's like I mean Psycho I'm a massive fan of but yeah I feel like there's Psycho and then like where do you go from there like it's all yeah. sort of, no matter how great to me it's all downhill from there mm-hmm. um, and you know you can't there's nothing to say about that you know it's, it's that doesn't mean people shouldn't keep trying to make those you know films in those subgenres sure. definitely I'm not trying to go there but yeah, the exorcist, like, how are you going to beat that? I, I don't think you can.
0: Yeah. And it's funny because when the, the way that pop culture becomes currency and, and language and art in general, and the way that it, it transcends and translates, I think for most people, especially in a more secularized age, like right now, if you talk about the concept of possession or yeah. even, or demons, or uh, or what are the rites of an exorcism. By and large, I think the association is going to be with this film. That's going to be where people's, you know, basically much like uh, I was talking about this with my kids the other day, and my daughter was telling me how you know in one of her classes when they were talking about the Greek gods and the Roman gods and you know pretty much lack of familiarity. And as soon as the Norse gods came up, everyone knew Thor and Loki and Odin. And the teacher was like, how do you guys know all this Norse mythology so well? It's like right? right. Marvel superhero movies. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> and the exorcist has that same sort of um, currency in, in the conversation, which is remarkable about it. So one thing I'm, I'm dying to ask you is uh, you've said that you were offered carte blanche in terms of making this film and doing your six day interview. Yeah. I'd like to know what that conversation was like (laughs) the conversation (laughs) where, (laughs) where you got free reign to, uh, you know, sit down with a master filmmaker and do whatever you want with it.
1: Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not an overt conversation. Um, You know, it's, it's not like he said it that way, but the, so the way it happened was um, you know, you can call it, serendipity you can call it fate whatever you want to call it but i was um, i was at the Sigis film festival uh, i was touring with 1752 in 2017 and he was there getting his lifetime achievement award and um, i was having lunch in one of the many possible restaurants there on the port one day and and then he was two tables behind me and called me to his table because he had heard a lot about 1752 and he says i want to you know he says i want to he said come over here i want to tell you some stories about hitch Michael oh, would, you know <laughs> I mean, how cool is that? Right. So, yeah. so there I go. And, you know, we join his table and, and, um, and then he takes my phone and then he gives me his email address and his phone number. And he says, uh, send me a film right away. am like, okay, great. So I send him the film. And then, you know, a few hours later, I get this wonderful email. Absolutely loved seventy-eight fifty-two, And he says, you know, ne- next time you're in LA, call me, I want to buy you lunch. I'm like, okay, great yeah so, i think I, I think
0: i can do that <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah let me check my book <laughs> you know and um and so so we're having lunch in la three weeks later basically and and um and then the conversation uh basically shifted very quickly to the exorcist and mm. um and then he started telling me about you know his archives and and his collections and whatever and and uh and then he said you know if you wanted access i'd give you access and i'm like Um, okay what what do you mean he said well you know read my autobiography and if you find an angle just let me know wow and so that's you know that was his invitation you know he he threw the bait i took the bait obviously obviously (laughs) um and and um and at that point what was really quite remarkable so then i i told him i said i I told him exactly how i wanted to approach it and i told him that i wanted this to be a one-on-one i wanted this to be about his process. I told him that I wanted to essentially use the, the Hitchcock Truffaut model of interviews, yeah. but instead of chronologically going over his entire filmography, I only wanted to focus on The Exorcist. I wanted to completely crack it open every sequence, every scene, every technique, every influence, every, you know, and over a period of days. And I said, you know, and and so he came back to me and he said, well, that sounds wonderfully ambitious. How many days do you need? You know, so <laughs> I said, look, um, I said, let's start with three, you know, and um, and I thought that cover it in three, but you know, it took took six days ultimately to, and you know, you, you never cover it, like I, there's still right. so much still like so this,
0: much to talk about, that, yeah, that
1: to talk about, you know, like that's the
0: thing, yeah. um, but that's but, how I feel uh, walking away from a great interview it's like, man, we could, you know. We could keep going for hours and hours, so that, that's that's a good feeling to have. the oh, worst, sure. the worst but, is a
1: conversation where you're like, "Well, we're done, and we still yeah." Got like, to... what else do I have? Oh, yeah, there's this question I forgot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, but it's but so so you know what a blessing. I mean, you know, but but so at that at that moment, um, he completely you know he never once asked. Um, to, you know what I was doing, how I was approaching it. He never questioned anything. Mm. Uh, just a couple of times, he said, "You know, are you sure you don't want to talk to, you know, Alan Burstyn or Mike Fonsida or what? You know." And of course, like inside it was like, "Oh gosh, I would love to meet them so much, but no." <laughs> you <right>. know, <laughs> I was like, "I'm like, no, Billy. Like, yeah. this is really, this is this is the perspective. This is the I'm going to stick to this." And he never questioned it. Any, in fact, he never when you know when the film was was. When we had a fine cut and he knew that I had sent it to Venice, um, he didn't even ask to watch it at that point. Like even mm. even when the film got into Venice for the world premiere, he didn't even ask to watch it. At that point, he said, I want to experience it in front of an audience and wow. I want to be in Venice for the world premiere. Like that's how much trust he put to me. I mean, yeah. to talk about pressure, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, like imagine. not
0: always is it the first time that that film festival audience is seeing it it's the Ooh. first time that the subject of the movie is seeing it right <laughs> yeah.
1: so so what happened very sadly very unfortunately is he actually couldn't make it to venice because he, he got um, he had a lot of health issues last year yeah and so a few days before and it was all planned he was planning he was going there and you know everything was booked and but he emailed me a few days earlier and he said, you know, look, I, I, I'm not gonna be able to make it. Can you please send me a link? And that was like some at like 10 30 PM, you know, so I said, of course, and I was, of course I was devastated, you know, that he wasn't going to be able, you know, so I sent him the link and, um, and he, and at 2 AM I get this email from him and I'll never forget. It's just absolutely, I mean, he basically said, you know, um, to remember his words it was like uh, dear Alexander I, I have no words to express how overwhelmed I am with your mm-hmm. film you've made me a better person than I am and that's what he said and um, you know he just kept going on and on about how proud he was and I mean I was crying like a I was like a, he turned me into an absolute puddle I mean to get a, a letter like this from you know the subject of any documentary means mm, everything sure. but you get a, something like this from, from Friedkin it's like You know like yeah 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 yeah, exactly like you said for many
0: for many subject when that feels like you captured them you know accurately and and, uh, yeah put it across the way that they would want to be presented but then for someone like him especially and someone like him who uh, one might say works in the same medium Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know it's not like you're doing a documentary on cartoonist or
1: something I know and he's been you know I mean look he's he you know uh, he has been such a, obviously a mentor, but a champion of my films. I mean, he's watched, you know, all my, all my films and I send him stuff and he just, uh, you know, genuinely really, really likes what I do. And it's just, um, it's such an incredible, um, you know, feeling and not that I need the validation, but
0: you know, yeah. well, everybody
1: needs validation and, and, you know, and there's always people who don't like my films and that's fine. You know, like you're never, going to please everybody no matter what you do but but it's really wonderful that that we have that sort of connection and that he, he understands what I'm trying to do with my films and that he ap- appreciates them you know that it means everything
0: yeah and I, I have a, f- a bunch more uh, specific things I want to dive into about this particular film but one hmm. thing I did want to ask you almost from a more sort of macro perspective you know we were talking about subgenres earlier and having a film that kicks off subgenres yeah i love that you are working in this space of uh specificity because a film like the exorcist is so important and is so masterfully made and has such lore and and stories behind it and and meaning to it and layers like you said beyond even what what appears on the surface that it invites that kind of study and there are you know like psycho there are you know there are these works of art that do and i love that you've zeroed in on this uh and, th- and that we existed at a, at a point in history where this is possible where you can make a film like this <laughs> this just like this laser focused study on something great picking they're it apart to
1: make. they're hard to finance uh, yeah and that, that's what makes me sad is it's uh it's i f- i feel like i'm and not just me but my company you know exhibited pictures and my producer carrie and we, we feel constantly like, like a bunch of salmon just going up the current and we're, you know, because yeah. we, we are really, yeah. we, we make, we're making those films completely against the trends and completely against this idea of a word that I absolutely have come to despise, which is content. <sighs> you know, we're right. talking about, we're talking about movies about as content now and you're you're talking about these filmmakers literally dumping stuff into the bin of streamers which look i i'm not um going on a rant against streamers um, no i get exactly what you mean but you know what i mean like no. it's 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 you can't you can't think of it in those terms it's it becomes really really dangerous and really detrimental you know i think to 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 the art form and so yeah i think making those deep dives um are they're very difficult. And so I really appreciate your words. It means a lot. And I, and the thing that, that to me is really interesting too, is because I I get to experience them. I I have now for many years in front of crowds from around the world and, you know, but people really eat them up. And I think that there is this strange sort of disconnect between what people really appreciate and want. Mm -hmm. And then people who finance films, you know, like it's really, you know, it shouldn't be this difficult to finance something like this yeah but it is yeah
0: and and it's especially when you it seems that the the gatekeepers and the powers that be in recent years have realized that there is a broader that everything has a home right that it went from growing up with three or four tv channels to now there's like seven channels just about cooking or whatever you know like there the whole idea of of niche and that you know, there's these different buckets that things can go in. It's like, of course, there's an audience for a film like this.
1: Oh, for sure. You know? Well, and look, I mean, I'm I'm very grateful that you know Shudder recognized that, and uh, you know they're clearly the right partner for this. And and um, I know I know how much they like the film, and they've been uh, they've been pushing it, and I really hope that people will um, embrace it and watch it and, and spread the word because that's how it happens, you know? Yeah.
0: Of course. Uh, so I want to talk about your experience uh, in preparation, spending a month, 30 days uh, with the exorcist. Yeah, um, well, describe that for me. Like, you know, where were you? What was your setup? What was your process of, yeah. you know, did you focus on different chunks for different days at a time? Or what, how does, you know, how does one go about... Watching The Exorcist for a month <laughs>
1: <laughs> and not go crazy, right? And
0: not yeah, yeah. and not go not become possessed.
1: <laughs> and not become possessed. Um, well, although I, I I will say that I started having some pretty weird dreams. I oh gosh, I can, I can only
0: imagine. Dreams. Yeah,
1: yeah. It, was, it was pretty intense. But I um uh, no, I very deliberately uh, I was very deliberate about my choice because I I because I travel a lot. Um, I you know I get to pick my Airbnbs and um and so I. I picked an Airbnb in well, in, specifically in Sebastopol, California, which is right next to Bodega, and um, you know Bodega is of course where Hitchcock um, shot the birds, and so uh, I wanted to find an idyllic. Uh, if I if I could
0: if I could uh, if I could turn my entire iMac around without knocking over everything on my desk, uh-huh. I would show you the framed
1: uh, birds poster that's. Ooh, but, right. anyways, well, continue. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, so you're going like, to like the story because what I, so what I did is, so I, I wanted to, to find a place that was, you know, obviously beautiful and idyllic and that was going to sort of counterbalance the intensity mm-hmm. of the exercise. I felt like for my own sanity, that was like essential. Um, and so my routine was every morning I would wake up at five thirty in the morning and there was, you know, there's usually fog there. So I would, I would drive in the fog uh, right by the Potter school, uh, you know, which is really cool. And I would sort of tip my hat to to hitch mm-hmm. <laughs> as a little sort of, you know, routine. And mm-hmm. I'd go to the beach, I'd go for like an hour and a half long walk and just breathe the, the, the sea air. Then on my drive back, stop at a little coffee shop, get my coffee, go to my Airbnb with a view on a vineyard. And watch The Exorcist, mm-hmm. and so and and I would let it wash over me every morning. Uh, I would, of course, take notes every time you know something happened. But but I would start paying attention to different things, and mm-hmm. I would sort of let the film kind of um, show me what it wanted to show me that day. And then and then I would start adding that to my book. And then the rest of the day, the afternoon, I would essentially um, you know work on. Uh, you know, my interview questions, but also start organizing them into folders, into themes, into interview sessions and start really structuring, not just the the film itself, Leap of, what would become Leap of Faith, but also my own interview process mm-hmm. that was going to be that. And so that's, and every day, every day I would see something new. Every day, new things would come to the surface, new sounds, new, you know, shots, new yeah. themes, And, um, uh, you know, I could still be doing the same thing every day and I would still find new things every day. There's no question about Again, it. Again,
0: and that's, why, that's what, uh, why a movie like that begs and invites so much study and conversation. It's amazing. No uh, how hard was it to resist the temptation to watch different cuts of the movie during those 30 days?
1: Well, I, I, uh, I think I watched once the quote-unquote version you've never seen during those 30 days. Um, but I really stuck with the original. Um, because um, well for me you know that's for me really it's it's the version you know mm-hmm. um, and you know there's a reason why they don't call it a director's cut it's the, it's not the director's cut it's yeah it's probably more I mean you know Friedkin will say that he likes them both equally and that's probably true um, <clears throat> but I think I think the version you've never seen is probably more Blady's cut than mm-hmm. it is, uh, Friedkin's. I mean, he really reintroduced elements that bloody felt were missing from the original. And so that's that's what it is. But I, yeah, I think the original for me is is where it's at.
0: Yeah, when you meet someone who's never watched Blade Runner, like I don't even know what to tell them.
1: <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> Which
0: one? I noticed there's a few different ones. What should I watch? It's yeah, like, I don't I know.
1: Know. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, you know, but it's it's great that they all exist on. Uh, you know. Yeah risk you know and i think that's yeah without opening another kind of worms that's something that mr george lucas wouldn't wouldn't do right the yeah
0: there you know and 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 there and there are some i mean because he was tinkering with those he was tinkering with the first one when it was even still in theaters it gets back to that whole question of art too where it's like you know when you're i think about this in, the, in another documentary about metallica some kind of monster there's a part where lars ulrich is talking about his art collection and he he's staring up at this painting and he's and he's wondering you know when did the painter know that they were finished like yeah. this is the last brush stroke now yeah. this is done you know and he was of course relating it to his own career like when is a song finished when are we done tinkering with this song and Uh, Yeah, and Lucas is is interesting because uh, yeah, as much as there is a clamor for the very original theatrical versions, in his mind, it's like they're living (laughs) works, you know? They're like constantly evolving. Yeah, and I mean, like for better or worse.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, which which special edition is really the definitive version at this point? Like is it the last one he's done or is like is he going to keep changing his mind about things like yeah you know it was Han who shot first, no it was Greedo. no, no they shot together like I'm like well, wait a minute like, what is it going to be yeah. next like, like some yeah. other dude is going to show up and kill them both like yeah I mean anyway.
0: Some some uh, uh, this whimsical creature will probably show up and probably you
1: know, that would grab make...
0: eat some food off their table or something. Um, sense, yeah. yeah and you know I do enjoy these curiosities that come out you know, because for years hearing about or reading about rather the behind the scenes drama on Superman two. And mm-hmm. and then when that Richard Donner cut came mm-hmm. out decades later, I mean I was fascinated by it and it's kind of far superior, but it's also sort of you know, they used they ended up using the original Superman two ending in Superman one. So when you see the Donner cut now, they both have the same ending, which is <laughs> you know, right, Superman yeah. spinning the world backwards. But it, <laughs> but it is, uh, yeah, it's hard to, once something is out there theatrically, like that's kind of, mm-hmm. and, and a movie really catches on. That is really the definitive one, despite, I mean, you know, it's the same thing again, to, to liken it to music. Uh, there was a lot of conversation when Metallica did an anniversary edition of And Justice For All the bass mm. is kind of famously absent from the mix on that album and there was a lot of talk about oh, okay are they going to remix it and remaster we're we finally going to hear the bass and then even the guy who played bass on the album said no we're not going to do that um mm. this record's been heard this way and all around the world for decades and despite any misgivings or criticisms or wish we could have done this differently it needs to remain pure in the way that it that it was released. So yeah, I think films are, are very similar. You know, it's 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 always interesting for the conversation. But uh yeah, it's like the that theatrical is that's just it. That's the one we well, all it's saw.
1: Interesting, you know, you also have this um I, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, website fanedit.org. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. which is really fascinating. I don't I don't you know like I don't um I really have zero objections to filmmakers revisiting their films, making changes, or even fans playing in that sandbox for that matter. Um, But as long as we do recognize that we need to preserve the original, that's it. That's really what it comes down to. Like I have, I don't mind at all George Lucas making multiple special editions, uh, even if I don't like them. But the fact that he has been vocal about wanting to destroy, you know, um, the the original the you know the quote unquote O O T is um, that's very disturbing to me because yeah. it's it's not just a, I mean you know then there's this whole thing that it's it's a film that was uh, inducted into the Library of Congress and, mm-hmm. it, and that's all from registry so does it belong to him You're legally sure. But it also you can also make the argument that that morally it belongs to all it of us. It Belongs to
0: us, yeah. I mean, with the, its cultural and historical significance, I mean, absolutely, absolutely. And it's almost a form of self censorship in a way, because yeah, you know, if, if you're thinking about like Huckleberry Finn or something, it's like, well, would you want an edition of that that's censored? Yeah, it gets into a whole a whole
1: conversation. Yeah, right, 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 right. Exactly. Yeah. It's like preserve the original, but it's I mean, history, it's- you know yeah well right i mean even disney yeah, look i mean all these films that you know we can look at now and say or these sh- you know short animated films that yeah they were overtly racist don't erase them
0: mm.
1: make them available with a con- with context context yeah. right because that's how we move forward as human as, as human beings that, yeah that, that's it but don't Absolutely. destroy them don't throw don't, don't yeah. just like, pretend they never existed yeah they did they did yeah
0: and, 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 and in a lesser extent something like Star Wars is uh, analogous because you could say look put this in the context of this isn't the filmmakers complete vision he felt restrained by budget for this and that mm-hmm. and later he went back and he was able to sweeten up this scene and make this sure. more continuity with the other movies and whatever give that context and then say but here is the original version that made all this history that,
1: that
0: yeah yeah I uh, totally totally with you um, hundred mm-hmm. percent so uh, going back to this idea of the, um, you know, the Hitch, the famous Hitch interview model that you had for this picture, uh, what what were some of the things that surprised you the most, you know, in having these conversations, like moments where where uh, you kind of sat
1: up in your chair and went, oh, this is this is going on in the movie. I've never heard well, him say I this think, before. <laughs> I mean, you know, one word, Kyoto, you know, and, and for those of you you know, people who have not watched Leap of Faith, then they got to watch it to understand what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that, that completely, um, that was a game changer. It was a game changer yeah. because it was, um, it was a very clearly a William Freakin' that, you know, um, none of us film fans had seen before, I think. And, um, and it just opened up a whole other sort of level and layer and of possibilities for me to, uh, approach this film. So that um, that was really the moment. I think that, that changed everything. Yeah.
0: And what was your personal relationship to, you know, because obviously The, the Exorcist is worthy of, of so much study and consideration as a film for its cinematic importance and mastery. Yeah. But in terms of like the themes that, that the film deals with and Friedkin's obsessions and relationship to all that sort of stuff. What was kind of, where were you coming from on that? Was that a big part of the interest initially and in delving into this, I mean, even in those, uh, that first personal one-on-one conversation prior to this even being a film, when you're like, I want to ask him about The Exorcist. Was that the stuff you wanted to know about?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that the, for me thematically what, what came to the surface, um, which of course he articulated uh, and which I think is very foundational, not just to *The Exorcist*, but to to his filmmaking, uh, is the ideas of faith and fate, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and the mysteries, you know, the, this idea that that we don't know anything, you know. I mean, he is uh, he, he. I think he is as much in love with the mysteries of life as 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 I am, and I think we're very much connect on that on that front. I mean, I think. I think, you know, in retrospect, you know, because obviously this all happened very quickly, you know, was, obviously he's a very instinctive filmmaker. Why did he just pick me out of a hat, you know, whatever. But I think he, it was a nonverbal thing. And I think, you know, now that I think back, that I can reflect back on, you know, the way that we connected the conversations that we had or whatever, I think philosophically we're very aligned. There's no question about it. I mean, I think when he talks about grace notes, when he talks about simplicity, when he talks about, you know, paying attention to the small things in life, all of that stuff, like that's, that's, that's stuff I've been interested in since I was a kid, you know? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I think it, like the whole process, like I said, I can look at it as completely serendipitous. But I can also look at it as it was sort of meant to be you know it was mm-hmm. it was maybe Faith it was just like this film um, I, I, I wasn't just at sitting at that restaurant and sidges at that time uh, for no good reason I mm-hmm. think that it just had to be you know I don't know
0: yeah it, it feels like one of those endeavors that you're sort of uh, allowing it entry into existence more almost yeah. more than, you know, Create, you know, like that Michelangelo idea that like he sees this slab of marble and he sees the mm-hmm. he sees the statue inside and he's just gotta peel yeah. way to get to it. You know. Yeah, and well to bring us full circle as we as we wrap up, all right. I'm the I'm the perfect audience for this film for all the reasons <laughs> you said, because uh the way that he articulates his worldview, so to speak, uh That's is very great. much in line with uh with who I am and where I'm at. So
1: thank you well thanks for you know spreading the word you know that's happy uh, to hopefully hopefully people will will give it a chance and will want to will want to spread the word themselves I'm, i mean i'm very proud of the film and i know freaking obviously is uh, very proud of it in, himself and uh, yeah. hopefully it'll be a, you know a, a good success for for Shutter.
0: yeah and i am a, a big advocate and champion for more of these from you and others of these deep dive Type documentaries on this stuff. Well,
1: I hope I hope so cool. uh, I hope some some financiers are listening. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And then you can give them my like phone number because uh, you know that'd be great. <laughs> Perfect.
0: Well, thanks so much. I appreciate you taking the time to talk. My to pleasure. That. Thank you so right. much. Bye-bye. Bye bye.